Hey everybody, this is Mike Atkins from Nerds on Earth, and I'm joined by... Adam Sims from Back Patio Network. And we are here to bring you another episode of the AMP. Lucky for you, because of our uh, wacky schedule around Thanksgiving holiday, you get back-to-back Almighty Mondays, despite the fact that we're now kind of having to space these things out a little bit more often around the release schedule of My Hero Hero Season 4. So... Lucky, lucky you. This is a this is quite the treat that you know. With filler episodes, we might repeat sometime down the line, but you know, enjoy it while you can. Yeah, definitely. It's I gotta say, it's it's not just lucky for you. It's lucky for us because honestly, on our off weeks, I miss recording and I miss editing too. Like I have so much fun with this, you know, that it's it sucks to miss a week. Yeah, I mean, we Adam and I genuinely just enjoy talking with one another. So uh, it's not like when we aren't recording, we're chit chatting anyway. We're not like you know, on Skype, regardless of whether or not we've got Reaper up and recording things. But um, we do actively miss one another when we, when we don't talk. And that's, it's kind of nice to be missed, Adam. Yeah, it is. Imagine how hard this podcast would be if we hated each other. Yeah, it would be really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, it would be very difficult. That's for sure. But we enjoy one another's company and, and conversations. And we've, we've vocalized many times before that even if nobody listened, you and I would probably still chit chat about what we're watching because it's an easy thing and, and a fun thing. And, we enjoy theorizing and finding out how wrong we were and laughing at one another. So, oh yeah, and you know what's uh, crazy? We're just gonna is keep I, it going. I think this is another week where, like last week, we had a few questions, and then this week they were answered within a couple of minutes. You know, I know that uh, we had talked about Rocklock's quirk, and he shows off pretty early on in this first episode. And I think we had a handful of questions about Amajiki, and it's answered in episode seventy-one. So, I mean, let's just dive into these and talk about what all we got wrong last week. Okay, well, we got a couple things right. Let's not write us off wholesale here. No, no, we did. We got a couple things right. We had a couple theories that I think panned out pretty well, so. Yeah, yeah. So episode 70 was titled Go. Um, I think it just had the one exclamation point. Maybe I miss, you know, mistyped it um, because I I think that it was a lot more energetic. Yeah, I was going to say it needed like 17 because this episode was just straight hype. Like they took an entire 30 minutes to hype you up for episode 71. It's true, but they they don't leave us like, quite in the lurch like at the end of this it's not like the door bursts out and then cut to black like what happened to the door what happened you know what's going to happen next they give us you know three or four minutes of action before they say all right let's let's continue this next week so i appreciated that much at least they gave us some fun background stuff in this episode i felt like you know what i mean like just kind of a hey here's what's going on at ua yeah because these kids, they're kids, number one. So, you know, we, we like to remind you that they're children um, uh, on the AMP for a lot of reasons. But, you know, it's, I kind of like it that the, the show goes out of its way to say, hey, they're kids. They do kid things. They're still in school, even though it's a different school than what we are familiar with. Um, and, and so, and I also like that it, there's this, and they showcase this really well, but they show this like tension. They build this tension up in the waiting between we need to find these guys and them actually finding them, which takes place like maybe halfway through episode 70. Mm-hmm. And there's some really, really cool establishing shots um, and scenes that really show how much that that time is just crushing uh, Midoriya and Uraraka and, um, and Froppy, but, but more so than anybody else, Midoriya and Mirio, really. Yeah, I mean, they were the ones that had the opportunity to prevent all this, or at least, you know, kind of, stop it from happening earlier than they could have 
So the fact that they're having to sit around and wait on everyone else to find what's happening with Eerie, it's got to be killing them, you know? And it, they do a good job of that. I mean, they, they do a really good job of showing Midoriya just trying to go through, you know, his day-to-day -day classes without having, like, an absolute aneurysm, you know? Right. And so episode 70 opens up, and the, some of the students are back to training. Bakugo's still butthurt about the fact that he feels like that they learned something that he doesn't know and so he's like shouting at them as they're like scaling a wall um then you get a little bit of i guess it's a flashback like a scene where you return back to that scene like right after the meeting where aizawa's kind of talking to some of the students from 1a those that are involved so like ochako and sue and kirishima and midoriya are standing there and then you also have the big three kind of over on the other like they're in the room i think they're within you know, earshot at least. Yeah, they're like sitting at the same table, aren't they? I think so. Yeah, yeah. In this scene, they are. And um, so you get a little bit more of of Aizawa kind of touching base with them, and uh, you know, just kind of making sure that they know that it's optional. Like he he's like, listen, you guys are here because you're volunteered. You know, you volunteered yourselves. If you don't want to be here, you can you can not do this. So just let us know. And and you get all the students being like, heck yeah, we're in. Like. The little, little girl's life is possibly at stake. How can we walk away from that? Yeah, I mean, this is literally what they're going to school for. Right. And so they're seeing a unique opportunity, but it's also something that they're, they're not engaged in this to, like, build up their hero cred. You know, they, they genuinely care, each of them in their own way, and for their very different reasons in some cases, about Aerie. Um, and it's all weighing on them, not equally. Like I said, I think Midoriya and Mirio are, are really getting crushed by this. And, and on top of that, they're told, listen, you can't tell any of the other students about this. You can't even tell anybody that's not, like, that wasn't in that meeting about it. So Midoriya's like, man, I can't even talk to All Might about this stuff. Um, so they, they, very, they feel very isolated um, and anxious. And the show does a really good job of showing that, I think. Yeah, and I was actually really surprised that All Might wasn't at least brought in on this for consultation. Like, I know that it's probably because him and Night Eye are having, you know, beef right now, but I'm just surprised that they didn't bring in, like, the best hero of all time for at least guidance, you know? Yeah, I wonder if, I mean, one of the things that Night Eye said in one of the earlier episodes was, we can't do this like All Might would do this, and I wonder yeah. if he's just like, we can't even, like his perspective is what it is because of what he used to be able to do. Like they can't let him influence the way that this operation is going to go at all. Right. Yeah. That, that makes um, sense. So there's, there's a neat scene with Midoriya who's eating sort of like he's, he's city, he's sitting, he's seated at a lunch table and he's just kind of staring at his food and Ida and Todoroki are there. First time we've seen Todoroki in too long. I think it's been a while since we've seen the toads. It's been a couple episodes for sure. But I'm glad that he's back, and they're, and they're both kind of saying, like, dude, you've been, you know, look like you've been pretty gloomy since you started your work study. And there's this great scene where Ida looks at Midoriya, and in the manga, it's really, it made me laugh a little bit, because you just see, like, Ida's hand, like how he always is pointing at people when he's chastising them and giving them directions, just that stiffed hand. Um, and it just comes into the scene, like right at Midoriya's face. Um, but then it backs out and Ida quotes to Midoriya the very same words that Midoriya spoke to Ida right before he got caught up, you know, trying to chase down Stain um, when he began his internship a while ago. Um, and he says, you know, if it ever gets to be too, nut too much, you just need to talk, just say something. I'm your friend. Um, and Midoriya kind of hears himself say those words to Ida, play back in his mind. Um, and that was a really cool moment, I think. 
It was, yeah, it was awesome. And of course, you know, our boy Midoriya immediately starts crying. And crying I don't blame him in this ever. one. Yeah, I mean, this one was kind of like, I get it. You know, he's stressed out. He wants to be able to rely on his friends, and he can't do that, you know? Yeah, and he, so he starts crying because it's Midoriya. Um, and he says, like, out loud, apparently, that heroes don't cry. And Todoroki says, no, I think they cry when they need to, probably. And for some reason, I was just like, I think that it's weird that Todoroki, of all people, said that. Yeah, it felt really out of place for him to say that. I, I don't know. Okay. It wasn't just you that felt that way, I don't think. Okay. Because he's not the most sensitive character, maybe. No. Or at least he isn't portrayed that way so far. It so, would make more sense for that to come from Ida, honestly. Yeah, Ida or... Yeah, I mean, a lot of other people. But yeah, with Todoroki saying it... I mean, don't get me wrong. I was glad to see Todoroki. But w- when he said it, I was like, uh, okay, I don't know that that fits with, like the way that I see him, I guess. Yeah, it's, no. I wasn't anything wrong way. with it, but it's just, you know, a little jarring, I guess. It was, but it was neat introspective from him, I guess. I guess it's kind of one of those moments where it seems like maybe he's had a change of heart since he's been training with, uh, I guess, the rest of the rejects that didn't get their, I say rejects, I mean, just mean the people that didn't <laughs> pass and get their, you know, license. Uh, but maybe he's just had a change. Maybe he's gotten to a point where he realizes that there's more to being a hero than just being like that, that cold-faced, you know, I guess, stoic person. Yeah, and it could be as well that he is just trying to tell Midoriya something that he feels Midoriya needs to hear. Yeah, that's true. Because especially like at the end of it when he says probably, or I think um, I think he says probably in the anime, in the manga, he says I think, you know, where he's just like, I, I guess they do. You know, I, like he's unsure, but he feels like Midoriya needs to hear that heroes do cry, can cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I've got a note here after this scene, we transition to a bunch of the pro heroes where they're looking, like actively looking for the Shia Hasaikai's basically hideout, like the one that they're hiding Eerie at. So they've got that map that uh, Night Eye had shown in the last episode and all the different heroes are checking out these different locations. My only note for this section is just Rock Lock's quirk is dumb. (laughs) I think it just shows him like throw a tile out into the middle of two buildings and hop on it and then it returns to his hand. Yeah, and they... I mean, this dude was talking a lot of smack for last episode for him to have this kind of a quirk. You know what I mean? I also don't understand how it works. Like, he throws the board, he freezes it in midair with enough strength to carry his weight, but then somehow he calls it back. Like, I guess I thought that it was, like, some sort of, like, immobilizing quirk, but how does that make sense of him being able to call it back to him? I'm not sure either. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't even really want to, like gesture on his i I don't yeah. like rock lock at all he's he's just proven to be a massive jerk to everybody and it, it's like you don't even have the the quirk to back it up at this point <laughs> yeah but, but you know what's great about rock lock in this very episode is that he he is shown to be completely wrong because yeah. if, if you'll remember like in the last episode he was the one that was like well if it were me i wouldn't just take her back to the the main headquarters. Right. And right. then they find out that that's exactly where Ari is. And he's just like, uh, so she was there the whole time. And why have we wasted all this time? I was like, sucker, you were the one that said she wouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, sit down, Lucio and shut up. Nobody likes you. Yeah. I wonder what the general like opinion of rock lock is. If other people like him and we're just being too harsh. I don't, I don't know. Get that, I'll, that that's I'll try to, um, yeah. I'll see if I can find where he ranks on any of the popularity polls, if he ranks on them at all. Yeah, he may be like not even pro enough to rank, period. Yeah. Uh, but the, the three things that the pro heroes are told to be keeping an eye out for at these different locations are 
you know, could billet could bullets be produced there? Like, is this a place that they could actually manufacture these bullets? Which, uh, what sense does that make anyway? I don't know because it's, I can make bullets in my in my house, right? Yeah, like it's not hard. But I, then again, maybe they're looking for like a chemistry set. I don't know, like because they've surely there's more involved to this. They've got to infuse a quirk with the bullet. I, I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of a weird one too. Uh, and then the uh, the second one is high traffic. Basically, like, are there a lot of people coming in and out? Uh, and the third just seemed like, is there an increase in drugs in the local area? Which I'm not sure how the pro heroes are supposed to know that, anyways. Unless they're looking at like police reports or something. I mean, maybe they're buying. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I like there are cops that do stings where that's kind of what they do to gauge, you know, to gauge who's who's dealing and where. Is they'll go out with money and buy drugs and then arrest the people. So I don't know. That's true. That's true. Uh, and, you know, we get this moment from Gran Torino where he mentions that most of the first half of the list apparently turned up absolutely nothing. So they're kind of several days into this investigation and they're freaking out because so far they, they don't have anything. And I happened to notice this. I don't know if you caught it or not. It seems like the Dragoon hero has some sort of a clothing line. Did you catch that? No. Yeah, there was a moment where like, I, this, I think it's when Gran Torino is talking and they're just kind of panning through the city. And there's this big, what looks like clothing store, and the model for all of the clothing in the, like, you know, mirror, or not the mirror, but the uh, the side window was the Dragoon Hero. And she has, like, posters of herself, like, right outside. Huh. So, are you sure it's her line of clothing and not that she's just, like, a model for, I mean, maybe like, her, she's just her the side model. hustle? I assumed it was, like, a clothing line that she produced. I don't know. Hmm. But I, I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't. Can't argue strongly one way or the other because I don't remember seeing that. So. Yeah, it was just a weird, like, I noticed it and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to bring that up. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting is uh, another great way that this show really, really kind of lets you know that these kids are suffering is that they have this really quick scene where there's a handful of the Class 1A people sitting around kind of the common area. And they're mentioning that all of the people that are in the work studies just seem totally off. And they're like, you know, they, they just don't seem the same since they've been, you know, under these work studies. Like, there's got to be something going on with them. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes from this entire episode was one, I don't even think there's any dialogue. It's just this shot of Mirio sitting pretty much by himself with his phone just in his hands and he's just staring at it. Yeah. Like, he's just waiting for that text, like actively sitting there doing nothing else, but like desperately trying to make like will that phone to make sound so that he knows it's go time. And I really, really liked that shot. I did too. I think we've all had those moments where we're like waiting on a phone call and we're trying to like force that phone to ring, you know? Yeah. I've, we, yeah, we can all empathize with his, his desperation here. Not, not for the same reason, of course, like I've never had to wait on a phone call to go save a, a you know, a young girl. Oh, Maybe gosh. some of our listeners have. Yeah, I have. I can't say I've waited on a phone call that important, I guess. But yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but this is when we find out that Erie is actually being held at the uh, Hasaikai headquarters. And it's kind of crazy how they were able to catch this. And it, it really begs a lot of questions for me here. So Sir Nighteye was at a toy store. And, and I'm, first of all, I want to know why he was there. It seemed like a really odd place for him to be to begin with. But he overhears this guy <laughs> talking about this, like, child's toy. And, you know, of course, he kind of has an idea that Eerie is, I guess, being held captive to some extent. And this person is, I guess, a known Yakuza member. So he's kind of, maybe he was tailing him to begin with. I don't really know. Yeah, that was my read on it anyway. Yeah, I, it just seemed weird because they didn't mention he was tailing him. And it just seemed weird that the two of them would happen to be in the same place at the same time. But regardless... 
uh, he like hands him this toy that this guy's looking for, then uses his quirk on him and is able to see that he goes back to the main headquarters and gives the toy to Eerie. So it was just really convenient to me. That's it felt like kind of crappy writing. You know what I mean? Yeah, my only note on this scene was that I mean, number one, I thought it was funny that Fat Gum was just like, Well, well then why did you buy one then? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. Maybe that was why Night Eye was in there, was he was like Listen, dude, I like the glitter girls too, or whatever. Yeah, like they he collects them, <laughs> low yeah. key, but he doesn't want to tell them that. <laughs> right, right. He's just like, shut up, it's evidence. Leave me alone, and don't come to my house ever. <laughs> right. Um, I really liked uh, the only note that I have really is that Night Eye touches the guy's shoulder because that's how he activates his quirk and somehow sees into his eyes because this is the uh, the Kaminari hair dude, and you can't see his eyes through his hair. Yeah, his hair's covering his eyes like a hundred percent. Yeah, so that was kind of strange, but all this really gets Mirio super excited. He is like pumped. I mean, and he starts like flapping his arms. He's like, let's do this. And he starts flapping his arms kind of like, like Wiley Coyote trying to keep from plummeting to his death after the road runner like tricks him off of a cliff. Like he's just like flapping his arms violently. And he, he is like the worst kind of guy to me in a way because he's super loud all the time. Not all the time. I mean, we just saw him mope for like half of an episode, but like when he's when he is himself, he's loud and obnoxious and he's like overly outgoing and he's so much stronger than me that I couldn't just tell him to shut the hell up. Like that's the worst <laughs> kind of person, you know, like I don't mind if somebody's like smaller than me and I could just be like, dude, shut up and sit down and quit it. Like, but you can't do that to Mirio because he's he's the boss. You know, it's just like he would beat me up if I told him that. But well, I mean, like, I don't Mirio know Mirio wouldn't, would, but Mirio wouldn't, but somebody else. like him might. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I mean, I guess he is a little he's a little overreactive. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's he's excitable. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, he uh, he's freaking out, and but I mean, I guess understandably to some extent. There's, I have a note here for this scene uh, that I don't entirely know why I took it, but it just says that Night Eye basically tells them that they have to learn from their past. Yeah, so there's this really quick flashback of Night Eye using his quirk on All Might while yeah. All Might is in the hospital, and I don't know if it was like. Had to have been the second time that he did it, maybe. I don't or or maybe it was the, maybe the first time he did it was was that was that time. I was always under the impression that he had gotten All Might with it earlier. But anyway, he he uses his quirk on All Might when he's in the hospital, possibly for the first time. And he says, "I don't know if it's possible to change the future, but you can change the past." And he's like, "By interpreting the past, it's possible to change how you see things." And I, I didn't really get what all he was saying for that scene either. And it's not in the, it's not in the manga. So oh, okay, well then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, we can just move on. I think he was just being like esoteric for some reason. I guess or, he's kind or of like introspective. That. Yeah, yeah, I feel like he he's like that at all the wrong times too. Like people, because at this point they've gotten a warrant, they've worked with the police, and he pretty much says like, all right, it's time for us to go bust this place down. And then this is when Night Eye goes into this like philosophical rant. Like, I feel like he always wants to get like this at the wrong times. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that it was also internal. I, like, I didn't get the sense that he was preaching to the room. Oh, really? See, I guess maybe I have a hard time reading that sometimes. Occasionally, whenever you thought something was internal, I've definitely thought he was just preaching to the people. I'm yeah. like, dude, nobody cares. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to tell sometimes, in, especially in, like, an animated television show. True. Yeah. Because oftentimes, 
it's like we don't see mouths we don't see reactions it's just like super close tied up shot of whoever it is that is either being introspective or is talking to the room but we don't know because of how things are framed sure sure and we're like treated as other scenes in the midst of all that so it gets tricky to to kind of sort through but so he's got all the heroes are ready to go they're they're preparing to to mobilize themselves but somebody reports that the that the heroes had had this big meeting to some of the Shi'e Hisaikai. Um, so one of them is reporting to It was Overhaul. a Corono, I'm pretty sure. Cro- yeah, the Chronostasis guy. Yeah. Who stays pretty close to him. I wonder if he's like I, one of his top lieutenants He seems like such. a personal bodyguard almost. Yeah. Um, so he reports to Overhaul that the police and heroes seem to be mobilizing. They interpret that to mean that they that they have been, their hideout has been compromised, that they know where it is. And Overhaul very ominously says that they just need to proceed according to plan. And so we don't know what that plan is, and it's kind of amazing that they have a plan. Um, And as the rest of this episode and the next one goes, um, it's very easy to see that they did indeed have at least a framework of a plan in mind, even though they had to implement it very, very, very quickly, probably in a lot less, a lot shorter timeline than they would have liked to have uh, have had to prepare Maybe. for a bunch of heroes knocking on their front door. Yeah, I get the feeling though that Overhaul has some serious contingency plans. Like, I get the feeling he was totally prepared for this to happen, and he knew exactly how he wanted to handle it if it did happen. Yeah, and he, he seems smart enough to kind of think ahead. You know what I mean? Like, because I feel like if it was the League of Villains, they would totally have been caught off guard. But with it being like, yeah, a, yeah, you know, organized group, like this dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, and then he, he kind of goes off on his own and visits his dad. He yeah. calls him Pops. It was weird because he's like, all right, I got to go take care of something. And then he goes and visits his dad, who appeared to be like upstairs in a hospital room. Yeah, and he just, yeah, he's, he's on like a ventilator, or at least he has like a, a breathing mask on. And all he does is say, I'm sorry, things are about to get noisy here. He doesn't move his dad. So presumably if he's on his way out of this compound with Aerie and whoever, you know, whatever members of the Shia Hisaikai that he's taking with him, it kind of felt like he's leaving his dad behind. Yeah, that's what I felt like to me, too. Like, it was kind of strange. It was weird. Um, But what I did really like, and this goes kind of back to Night Eye and the heroes getting ready, is Night Eye's quirk allowed him to reproduce a map. From his memory, that right. looked like, and the way that they visualized it was super cool because it was an incomplete map. So they had this, he was able to reproduce, I, I presume draw it, I guess, but he drew, draws out this map that, and he's explaining, you know, it's the direct route. It's this guy went straight to this room. So we're assuming that Aries in there. And the, the map is so cool because like every time he passes a hallway, it only extends like a little bit. Because he's, because of the way that he explained that everything is done from the perspective of the person who's memories he's mining or whose futures he's mining that um it's just like whatever is on the peripheral stays in the peripheral um so i really like that i thought it was a really really cool touch yeah it was really neat and this was a moment where you know that i'm kind of surprised that they didn't have mirio like try to fall through the ground basically and actually check and see you know what i mean like I guess maybe that would be harder, not a super great strategy, but it would have been really neat to have him like use his quirk to fall through the ground and just verify everything that Night Eye had seen. Have we learned what the physical limitation to Mirio's quirk is yet? He has to hold his breath. That's the only thing I remember is that it only lasts as long as he can hold his breath. Okay. Because okay. you remember whenever remember he saying phases, I think he like he can no longer absorb oxygen molecules. So he just yeah. you know he it's something like that. 
So I he, wonder if it physically taxes him though, like outside of asphyxiation, if it just is exhausting in its own unique way, you know? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's been explained if that is the case yet. Mm. So, but yeah, Another I thing agree. I thought was... This was a neat moment, and I, I do want to make a mention of this because they seem to really be stressing this. Gran Torino is not on the scene of this. Like they've got all of these heroes that they're prepping with the map, and they're kind of getting them prepped for like, hey, this is where we're going. This is how everything's going to go down. And Midoriya makes a mention of, like, well, hey, where's Gran Torino at? Has anybody seen him? And apparently he's out with Sukoichi uh, because they're investigating the League of Villains who are on the move. And it just seems, the only reason I'm pointing it out is because it seems like they consistently make an effort to go out of their way to say, hey, these people aren't here. Which, to me, says something's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be involved somehow. My note for, for that particular absence is... How is it that they aren't connecting dots? Because earlier on, Aizawa is talking to the students, and he's like, the police don't think that the League of Villains are partnered in any way with the Shiei Saikai, but if it turns out that that's the case, then you guys are going to be removed from the operation. And then here they bring the two up again, and I'm and so now the Shiei Saikai are kind of on the move, and they're also saying that the League of Villains is on the move, and I'm like, why, are you, why aren't dots being connected here? This seems like a something that they should at least be, well, we need to be careful and cautious. We're going to... We're going to assume that they at least could be partnered together, that they, that these incidents could end up being related. I don't know that um, they would assume that based off of the evidence they have, though, because the only thing that they know connection-wise between the two of them is that they fought each other and killed a few of their own. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I, but, uh, I kind of see what you're saying, but I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't know yeah. that they would put those connections together with what they know, because you got to remember, we know a lot more. So it's easier to say, like, oh, these guys are obviously, you know, in cahoots. Well, one of one of the students is I think it's Kirishima is just like, what a coincidence. Maybe we can get them both at the same time. Okay, and the yeah. way that he says it, I was just like, you're talking about it like there's no way in the world <laughs> that they could possibly be related to one another. Yeah, that's true. Never mind. <laughs> um, but another thing that I thought was strange about this was Sue is feeling kind of overwhelmed. And she's just like, well, first there was all this detective work. And now there's this full scale cooperative operation with the police. You know, it feels like I'm learning something new all the time. And Ryukyu is just like, yeah, they don't really teach you that in school. Yeah. You know, like, it's a freaking hero school. Why aren't they covering this stuff? Yeah, like, that yeah. seems like it should be in the curriculum somewhere. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess, like, when I think about my schooling, I wouldn't say anything prepared me for what I actually do. And I do what my <laughs> schooling was for. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I just... That's like, fair. <laughs> that's a fair critique. Yeah, so, I don't know. Well, Fat Gum offers swordfish to Amajiki. And that was kind I feel of like nice. that. Well, yeah, and I feel like that should be pretty high up on his diet because just being able to manifest a sword would be dope. I'm just curious why it's so fish related, like clams and tentacles. It's the culture. I mean, just okay, that's seafood fair, yeah. is a bigger thing over there. They are an island anyway. That makes sense. That's true. Um, I guess, and also, like, if you ate a bunch of steak, you know, like how how useful are you going to be if you've got generating cow parts, right? Right, right. <laughs> Look, here's my cow hoof. Yeah. Um, rock lock. Rocklock is again just like whining about procedure and he's basically saying that won't they get suspicious when they see us? And then he's surprised when dozens of heroes and cops are seen outside of the door. He's like, You mean they saw us? I was just like, there's a freaking hundred of you out here. <laughs> yeah, this was insane. <laughs> why why is this surprising? So one of the policemen goes to like bang on the door and it just explodes out. And it's the it's that big um it turns out that mimic. And the big guy are two separate dudes. I think it, you would possibly said that 
Mimic could be the big one. Yeah, um, I thought they were related because remember there was a scene where like Mimic like extended an arm and it was huge. And yeah, he had a deep voice all of a sudden. Yeah, so this is the first of one of what we learn is called like the shots the, or the eight bullets of the Hasai group. Yeah. This is the first one, and I don't think we catch his name, but he bursts out here. He's hulking out in subtitles. His me name Bane. was uh, Katsume. Katsume, yeah. okay. And you know what's funny? You say that is uh, Hannah said the same thing. She was like, "Yeah, that's just Japanese Bane." It is, and he keeps getting bigger, like he's hitting the venom harder. You yeah, know? yeah. But this was a wicked moment because the dragoon hero was just like, "I got this," and she turns into that giant dragon and takes him out. Like in I seconds. don't like it. You don't like it. I don't it? like it. Why not? No, there's something about the like the f- human flesh colored skin tone and the smooth features on the face that just doesn't work for me. It just creeps it's you just out. Just the or? face. It's just no. It's just just the face is weird. It like, is weird. Choosing. I guess. Like it just needs to go, just go full, full on dragon. Don't go half dragon. Cause it's like, they were like, Hey, let's let her keep her face and just stretch it out. Like that scene from, um, from, uh, uh, Beetlejuice where that one dude just like grabs his nostrils oh, and like yeah. stretches it out. That's kind of what this looks like. I don't like it. It looks like, like blue eyes, Caucasian dragon. And I dislike <laughs> it. All right. That's the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair. <laughs> that's a that's a good assessment, I guess. I don't know. I thought well, it was pretty cool. Most of the rest of her has got gray scales, and it looks great. But then you get up to like where her skull is, and it's and it's flesh toned. And I'm like, man, I'm not for this anymore. You know, it would be interesting if it was a twist. Like she actually wears makeup because when she's in her human form, she has like gray scaled face. You know, so she wears okay. she wears makeup, and then when she goes into the dragon form, everything else transitions, but her face. I could like her again if that turns out to be the case. How about that? Okay, I'm fair with that. That's a good compromise, I feel like. But she straight pins this guy to the ground, um, and then you go back to Overhaul, who's saying, you know, we've got, we've got these guys. This is what they're in place for. And he refers to them as the eight bullets of the Hasai group, and you get shots of all of, well, the other seven. We already see, um, you know, Bane, uh, and then there's seven more. And that's kind of the end of this episode is there are seven more guys. So one of them is out front. And is currently pinned by a dragon and surrounded by others here, other heroes and police. So is he out of commission? We don't know yet. Um, but then there are seven more that are somewhere inside of the compound and a bunch of heroes and other policemen have rushed in their general direction as well. So we're sure I, I just started counting like from this point on from the episodes. I'm like, OK, we've seen one. Episode 71 lets us see at least three more. Uh, I would say like, four more. Mimic's got to be in action. Oh, yeah, that's true. Four. He is one. I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, I would consider Mimic one. Because it, it seems like these are like the like the Ginyu force of, you know, My Hero Academia. Actually, the the wiki doesn't say, uh, says that Mimic is not one. He's really? A, he's, it says that he's general manager, and Chronostasis isn't one either. That's interesting. So, so we've only seen have, four total then. Yeah, so you've seen Katsukame, which is the big Bane-looking dude. And then there's the three that we're going to talk about as we... Transition into episode 71, which is called Sun Eater of the Big Three. Sure. Before we transition, if in the after credit scene, before he talks about the, uh, the eight bullets, he makes a mention to, I think it's Corono he's talking to, and he says something along the lines of, like, I want it to look like they attacked on their own. Is he mm-hmm. trying to basically frame the police and frame the heroes and make it look like they were attacked innocently, like, for, you know, like, by mistake? I think he's wanting to frame the bullets. And keep his hands clean. That's why he's ah, trying to make a clean getaway. That makes a lot more sense. Okay, so he's basically trying to make it look like they're the ones doing this and that he's not involved. That's crazy. Correct. Okay, yeah. I didn't catch that earlier. Nice one. Nice one. Well, let's just transition right into 71 then. <laughs> Again. Um, 
This one starts off with a, a cool flashback from Amajiki. This is a very Amajiki-heavy episode, yeah. and it's totally great. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, so we start with this flashback to Amajiki, who's in third grade, and he transfers into a, a new school. Mirio's already a student at this school. Um, Amajiki back then was just like he is now, um, very shy, and so he's like trying to introduce himself, and he barely stutters his name, and it's super low volume. Uh, and then he sa- he starts to say, I like, and then all you see is like an H and then, you know, all the students are laughing. He takes a seat and sitting by himself. Um, but eventually Mirio comes over and he's flanked by two other folks, but Amajiki makes it sound like Mirio's the only person who talked to him. And I guess that's technically true. I don't know that the other two said anything, but anyway, Mirio comes over and he's his perky, sunny, you know, pleasant, optimistic, outgoing self and is like, you were going to say hero, weren't you? And starts conversing him with him. You know, who, who's your favorite hero and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice heartwarming scene. I mean, it just reinforces how awesome Mirio is. And this was actually the first time where I kind of got a hint that maybe Sun Eater was based off of something Mirio and Amajiki had come up with when they were kids, you know, and we find out more later. But I, I really like this, this flashback. It was a good way to start the episode, too, because it gets you right into the mindset thinking about this situation from Amajiki's eyes and how he's going to be successful or whether or not he will be really. Yeah. Um, and there, like you're kind of alluding to, there's a flashback a little later on that, that makes all the sense of Sun Eater. Like I think last episode I was like, I don't understand what this name is coming from. I don't get it, but now I love it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite, might be my favorite hero name. It's really um, good so far. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, so, anyways, all of the heroes are rushing into the main headquarters here, and I kind of had a thought, because we get this really neat scene where Sir Nighteye is leading some of the heroes to this specific location where he, like, lifts up this statue and is able to put in a code that opens up a door and leads them to one of the secret hidden passages. Uh, and I had this moment where I was like, I'm really surprised that Nighteye didn't use his quirk to, like, look further into the future to see how the raid would go. I mean, unless he just was able to look into the future and see that the caretaker's not there or something. But it seems like that would have been something he would have done. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I don't know. I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, But they get into the secret passages, and it looks like Overhaul has used his quirk to basically raise a whole bunch of walls in between, you know, it looked like every, like, 15 feet or so, there's a new wall. And I guess the... I I was kind of confused on what they meant by this, but it seemed like he was able to use his quirk to actually reinforce the walls and make them even thicker than before. Okay, so two things real quick. Number one, I think I might have just maybe made some sense of why Night Eyes wouldn't have seen that those... Because like as soon as he opens the door, two villains pop out. That's true. And they're they're quickly like incapacitated by Bubble Girl and Centipede. And we'll talk about that in just a second too. But maybe he only saw as far as he needed to to prevent himself from seeing any... Gortastic deaths, like because oh, that's, that's the thing that he's yeah, worried about. That's now. true. He's kind of got that like fear. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't considered that, but that's a good point. Yeah. So then my second thing is, you were right about the centipede's arms being actual limbs somehow. It's um, freaky. And it is. It's so weird because he has like human hands at the end of the creepy centipede things. It doesn't. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, visually, it's it's kind of disturbing. It is. It is. It's very odd. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I tried to block out Centipede, honestly. 
Yeah, me. Oh, like listen, I'm sure you too. do, but like I didn't even remember that scene until you said it a second ago. Because that's how, like, I'm like Bubble Girl and Centipede. For some reason, they're just like really low on the totem pole for me. Yeah. Well, then the, the craziest thing is like Bubble Girl gets in, he, like engages in this fight and incapacitates one dude by just like popping a bubble looking bubble in his eye, and yeah. he's just like, oh my eyes. And then he like she like does some judo and twists his wrists, and he, she's I was like. Is that what her power is? Like to like pop put soap mild, bubbles? mildly soapy, you know, liquid <laughs> in a villain's eye? Like that seems really dumb. There's got to be more to that than what we saw. Yeah. Because all know. it was was this really quick scene. And I was just like, well, that was fast and anticlimactic. Right? I don't know what else. They are doing this anyway. thing, though, that I kind of like where they're slowly siphoning off the weaker heroes. So that way, I'm assuming by the end of, you know, these next few episodes, we're going to be down to like the last two or three really strong uh, pro heroes. Yeah. So that way, whatever the last fight's going to be, you just know it's going to be epic. You know what I mean? Like they'll be all alone. It's going to be like, it'll be Midoriya and Mirio and, and maybe Night Eye watching or something like that. Like it'll be, it'll be pretty cool. I'm sure. Uh, but they, yeah. they're continuing down these hallways, and they've got Mirio basically like flying through those walls just to make sure that there's something on the other side. And then I guess the plan is to have Midoriya and Red Riot just absolutely smash through these walls and get these people through. All right, I'm gonna let you finish, but we have to talk about Mirio's costume for a second. Yeah, that's right. There's a there's a moment where I guess they explain that his costume can like phase through walls with him. Yeah, because it's made of his own hair. Oh, I didn't catch that. Was I just not paying attention? Because I feel like I would have written that down. That is freaking gross. Yeah, that's I weird. I mean, he is just running, away, running around in a costume made entirely of his own hair because they explain that, like, because it's his own genetics that it phases, like, his, his quirk, yeah, t- treats it like it's a part of him, which is smart, but also completely disgusting. How long but another he note, have to grow his hair to get, like, I don't know. I just feel like that'd be almost impossible. Okay, I don't know either, but maybe there's a quirk. I'm sure there's a quirk. That's that's the hand-waving <laughs> okay, thing of this enough, whole thing, enough. right? Um, but the other thing that made me laugh was in a la- in this next like flashback that we get with Amajiki, Mirio is totally rocking like a mullet or like oh, a totally, ponytail. Yeah. And now there is a canonical reason why he has shorter hair in the present. That's fair. Because it all had to go into his costume. Yeah, man, that's weird. I didn't catch that. Yep, gross hair suit. It is gross. I wonder if I it's... already didn't like his costume, and now I dislike it even more. Do you think he has to get it like dry cleaned specially? I don't know, or maybe he just wears it into the shower and you know, <laughs> like shampoo does it, it up with uh, <laughs> head and shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> like a, a good li- conditioner, a little bit of pert, some some mane and tail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's fine. He's got it figured out. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh man, I really hate that I missed that earlier because that would have weighed very heavily on me. <laughs> <laughs> So you're right. I mean, Midoriya and Kirishima just bust down this wall um, after Mirio confirms that the hallway does continue after, like beyond it. Right. But then Mimic injects himself with this quirk enhancer that we've already seen in action. And it looks like right before he goes into the wall, I don't know if you saw this, but right before he kind of like, like melds with the wall or however you want to talk about it, he looked exactly like All Might. Did you see that? No, I didn't catch that. Maybe it was just me, but I was like, what the heck? Why does he look like I mean, there was a weird moment where he kind of transformed into this, like, ethereal matter almost because his weird, like, Shia Hasaikai nose thing drops. Uh, And it looked like he was holding a staff or something that also dropped, and then he fuses with the wall. Yeah, it was weird looking. It was weird. Maybe it was just me. His quirk is really weird. I don't, like, he fuses with the wall, and then he's able to make, like, this weird living maze 
And Night Eye says, like, oh, this has got to be Mimic. His quirk is to fuse with inanimate objects and he can control them like it's his own body. Yeah. So I don't understand. Like, he fused with the building, basically, and he's now, like, turned it into his intestines or something. You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't feel like that really explained how his quirk works, and it, I'm concerned about it. So the, the director points out that, like, normally his quirk would only let him control something about the size of a refrigerator. Yeah. But with this quirk enhancement thing, drug that he's got on that he's able to control, probably not the whole building. And I think that we have, vis- like, we get that backed up, like, validated later on because there are pieces that he's not controlling. Right, right. Um, but, I, I mean, I think it's pretty smart because he's like, well, now we're in a living maze, which means everything can change. But then Mirio is just like, listen, as long as I know the direction that I have to go in, I can get there. And so he just takes off. Right, yeah, which is pretty smart on Mirio's end. But to some extent, I also kind of worry about it because I'm like, okay, Clearly, Mimic has the ability to redirect everybody wherever you're not. So you're going to end up in a hallway all by yourself facing some seriously tough dudes. Yeah, you never split the party, Miria. Right. Yeah, that should be like Hero 101, you know? Well, let's add it to the list of things they're not teaching heroes (laughs) in hero school. True, true. Uh, But yeah, this is, uh, I don't know. Mimic's quirk is really cool, but I... It's weird that he's just able... To, I guess maybe what they meant was he's able to control it like he's able to control his own body or something. Yeah. So so he opens up this giant hole beneath the rest of the people that are standing there, and there's heroes and police alike, and they drop down, and they are staring down three more members of the Bullets, whose names we'll get to in just a second, and none of them look overwhelmed by the heroes' numbers. And I was just like, oh, man, stuff's about to get real, because yeah. none of them are just like, oh, no, never mind. There's too many of them. Yeah. Like, I'm out of here. I didn't sign up for this. They were all just like, what's up? And they even know some of them. Yeah, they, they were pretty well educated on who they were going to be fighting. So that was concerning. Um, but Amajiki is equally, um, you know, unfazed. And he's just like, don't worry, guys, I got this. Not, not a problem. Yeah, this was a pretty cool scene because this is when he takes over and he's like, I got this. Go. Like, you need to be conserving your quirks so that way, you know, you can take care of Overhaul at the end and, and rescue Eerie. And this is when I guess they, they kind of go ahead and break down. You've got three bullets. They've got Setsuno. Uh, Hojo and also Tabi is how I would would say it, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they they give a quick name for all of their quirks. So Setsuna's quirk is named Larceny. Hojo is named Crystallizer, and Tabi is just named Food. And so like they kind of don't tell you anything about them. And this is it's kind of interesting because one of the directors that is with them is like, okay, don't shoot at Setsuno at all. Hide your guns. And then this is when they all start to kind of attack each other. And at first, Eraserhead is able to take all their quirks away, and Amajiki is able to use his tentacles to sort of get them all together and throw them up against the wall and just capacitate them, you know? So that way they are no longer in combat, I guess you could say. Uh, but then they decide to take like four or five minutes and talk about their quirks and, and kind of have this back and forth. I thought, too, that Aizawa's quirk only allowed him to nullify the quirk of one person at a time, the person that he had locked, that he was currently actively looking at that's what i thought too misunderstand no but you know it's kind of one of those things where like that was season one my hero and who knows (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i feel like they've abandoned a lot of kind of random rules on quirks since season one so because he he has in this scene or as this scene plays out he explains or amajiki kind of explains or exposits that uh that aizawa had nullified the quirk of all three and so he had a finite window of time before all of them were able to do their stuff again and he was supposed to knock them out before that happened yeah no that's definitely what it seemed like to me 
Uh, and whenever he uses his quirk on them, I think it's Setsuno that says something along the lines of like, oh, yours, your quirk is like a, a dumbed-down version of Eerie's. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, so Amajiki says he can, he's like, I got all these three. I know their quirks. Fatgum actually agrees, and it's just like, all right, let's go. And yeah. that shocks no Kirishima. No hesitation at all. Yeah, he's just like, listen, he's probably the strongest one of us here. Yeah, he says and that his only drawback is actually his self-conscious. You know, like, and he says, like, if he believes in himself, then by all means, I believe in him, too. Right. And so this is about to be Amajiki's time to shine. And, and I think this is where we get, like, another flashback. This is the one where we get the Sun Eater moniker explained. Amajiki is, like, doing the equivalent of the the quirk PT test from, like, I, the, the, the one that, like, Aizawa administered everybody's kind of showing off their quirks, I guess, and they're in the UA uniforms, and he just has this little sprout sticking up off of the back of his wrist, um, which goes to something that you had mentioned in the last episode, like, what if he just ate vegetables? What would happen? Yeah. Probably this. Probably this. Did you notice that this instructor seemed a lot more lax than Aizawa? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was still kind of a jerk. I mean, he was a jerk, a little but bit. he was just like, oh, that's all you got? Uh, no worries. Get back in line, you know? Whereas Aizawa yeah. probably would have been like, okay, well, you're kicked out of the class. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're expelled because all you could do is uh, sprout a bean sprout. Yeah, but it is kind of neat but, to see that that was like followed through, you know. Yeah, and then you you get a funny scene where Mirio is like starting to phase through a wall, but can't get his head to phase, so he like bonks himself, and everybody has a good laugh, and he's defending himself. He's just like, you know, this is like at least five times harder than you think that it is, and. Um, there's this really cool scene where the two of them, Mirio and Amajiki, are kind of walking, I guess to the dorms or back to their homes or whatever. Um, and Amajiki's just like, you're so cool. You know, you're so strong. And Mirio says, seeing you do your best without running away, even though you get super nervous, makes me feel like I don't want to lose to you. Um, he says that you're, you're un- overestimating me and you're underestimating yourself. That's why you keep calling me the sun. Um, you keep placing me on, you know, on this big pedestal. And the rest of us, some of us, me at least, um, I'm looking at you and I see somebody who's even more amazing than the sun. Um, and then I think that's when he says you're, you're like a sun eater or Amajiki, I think actually finishes that particular line of dialogue and shouts his own name. Um, but that's a really cool origin for a hero name. I like it a lot better than I like Deku, uh, Deku, even though it was like a similar origin for names, like the way that both of them got their names are very similar. Yeah. I like it better than Deku as well. I gotta say, I, I wish that Amajiki had helped Mirio out with his hero name. Amajiki had helped Mirio. Why? What do you think he would have called Mirio? I don't know. Something better than 100 million. Le million. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> Anything but that. It's just something better. <laughs> There's a pretty awesome fight scene here that breaks out around this time as well, where, I mean, all three of these guys are able to break out of those tentacles, and it looks like uh, Setsuno is able to, like, cut Amajiki, and that throws him off guard. And then all of their quirks kind of come back. And now, Tabi's still knocked out because before Eraserhead moved on, he like literally just knocked this dude out. And he, we find out why here in a couple of minutes. But at first, Amajiki's able to hold him off. And then like they all just start using their powers combined, like just some serious teamwork. And he starts to get in a pretty rough spot, really. Uh, and this is kind of when we get this quick moment of him like having this flashback, getting his name and everything. And then he is able to kind of reawaken his powers, I guess. And he, he's using his ultimate move named Vast Hybrid, where he uses like a handful of different, like I'm going to call them animal quirks, where he's able to you know manifest these different animal parts. 
And it is wicked, man. I think he, he calls it the Chimera Kraken. Yep. It's very cool. So he's he's got the tentacles that we've come to know and love. It's not the kind of anime. Uh, but then <laughs> it, they also have like, he's he's manifested this like really like stony or shell-like mask that looks super dope. Yeah, it was And cool. then he also has like patches of his tentacles that are also got this like shell-like substance on them. So they're doing bludgeon, like extra bludgeoning damage if you're talking about it from like D&D terminology. And he just starts whipping these things everywhere. Just starts beating the snot out of the crystallized guy and Setsuno. What's the crystallized guy's name again? Uh, Hojo is what I've got. Hojo, yeah. Hojo. And it seems like it's really cool because like he's also able to kind of negate any of the crystallized effect, I guess, because like whenever he's hitting him with those crystals, he's able to negate the, uh, the impact. So I thought that was pretty neat. And he's also got the chicken feet in the scene. I don't, they, they don't really come into play until later, but they're there. Yeah, so <laughs> I, have some, I have some thoughts about the chicken feet. Oh, really? So, okay. Number one, did you notice that like this entire episode, he's just running around barefoot? Yeah, I did. I guess he probably tears through his clothing is what I would think. Yep. Okay. So that was a detail I didn't notice before this episode. And then number two, I think that he likes those chicken feet because they, they give him a larger footprint, like physically, of course, but it also, you know, the bigger the footprint, especially with, you know, toes going forwards and backwards, it gives him a little bit more stability for when he's just whipping tentacles everywhere. Oh, that's a good point. Like it probably helps stabilize them. Yeah, that's what I that's that's my that's my no prize explanation for why he had chicken feet during this scene. I like that. That's good. That's a good one. Um well, this is when Tabi decides to wake up and he pulls out one of the weirdest quirks that I think we've seen yet. And he's kind of I feel like his costume is kind of weird for this quirk as well cuz he isn't he in like a mummy mask basically? He looks like he looks kind of like a weird version of the scarecrow from Batman. Yeah, definitely. And his quirk is just that he can devour anything in an instant, and it is immediately digested. So he just starts going to town on Amajiki's tentacles. Again, not that yes. kind of anime. So, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Tabe, he must have the worst, but also most consistent bowel movements ever. <laughs> or none at all. Be I mean, it sounds like his stomach's well, just a black hole. Oh, because I would think that, like, in order for him to live, digestion has to mean like caloric intake. Okay, that's true. Like his yeah. body is drawing stuff from these foods. Maybe the solid stuff dissipates, but he, I mean, in order to survive, surely some of this has to affect him nutritionally. I mean, maybe he doesn't so I wonder need if nutrition, you could, right? That could be part of the quirk. Maybe. I mean, if not, then it would be kind of fun to see if you could incapacitate him by like giving him too much sugar or too many Red Bulls or something like oh, that. That would be interesting, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just you know, one biting all of these tentacles and there's just like pieces of tentacle flying everywhere. And this is a really gross quirk because we're watching him. Okay. He's eating tentacles, but they're, they're emitting from a human being. And I don't think that he would be the kind of person to stop if the tentacles aren't there anymore. You know, like I think if he hadn't been like on a leash, so to speak, he might've just kept on biting. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that guy's eaten people before. I like no, oh, yeah. no doubt 100%. in my mind. Uh, well, we also get a really cool visual with Setsuno. So Setsuno's quirk is named Larceny, and basically he can just steal anything that his enemies have equipped. So this whole time he is like transporting these tentacles away from Amajiki as well. So I thought that was kind of neat. I love his quirk name too. Larceny was pretty, yeah, pretty it's, good. It's very on point. 
Uh, yeah, and this it actually surprises Amajiki what he can steal because earlier on in the fight he actually steals the clam right off of his hand. Yeah, and it doesn't really seem to make any sense because I guess it just like transports like almost like instantaneously. Even Amajiki was just like, "What the crap?" Yeah. Like <laughs> while I was thinking, "What the crap?" Amajiki's just like, "Oh, that's weird. <laughs> I didn't think that this would qualify as equipment because it's physically a part of yeah. me." But um here in this particular portion of the fight, Larceny steals that cool mask off of his face and um, Hojo is able to like punch him square in the mouth. But as he does, I mean, he's able to like create and manifest those like weird tentacles, like suction cups and, and buffer the blow basically. And then he yeah. starts getting wailed on and up against a wall and all three of them are like using their quirks in tandem and he just gets totally wrecked for a few minutes. And then does Amajiki not feel anything through the tentacles? I don't think like so. As I don't think that they're connected just... to like his nervous system. Okay. I mean, I really don't know, but I, that was in my notes. I was like, does he not feel any of this? Like, I mean, it would be crazy if he did. There's no way that he does based on how he handles himself in the depiction of this yeah, scene. I mean, I can't imagine he does. Because otherwise he'd be like, because first of all, Setsuna was cutting him up and then Tabe is literally eating his tentacles. So... I mean, I imagine that that would hurt, you know? Yeah, it's craziness. Yeah. But then he has the thought that maybe to take out, to neutralize Tabe, that he would just put some neurotoxin in his octopus arm, which I think is a super great idea. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to, I think I had mentioned, what if Amajiki was able to heal his quirk because he has this, like, octop octopi can, like, they can heal very well. Um, it, that, you know, if you cut off a tentacle, I'm pretty sure that they grow back on an octopus. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just confusing them with lizards and I'm an idiot, but I didn't take biology in college intentionally. So, um, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's true. I know it's at least that, true of starfish. Yeah. That they, that, that like an octopus has a, a faster healing ability than like we would think is possible. So, um, but anyway, all that to say, this neurotoxin thing, he's not just manifest manifesting, in this case, the physical thing about the animal. He can also borrow some of the characteristics of that animal that are less physical. Right, um, right. Which is more, more biological and chemical, which I think is pretty cool. And that leaves the door open for him just straight up skunk musking somebody later on, and I'm for Dude, it. Dude, I hadn't even thought of that. But then he'd have to eat a skunk. Oh, that's true. Well, you know... Sometimes you count the cost. <laughs> he could just use wasabi. He could just eat a bunch of wasabi. It'd be okay. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, but Sasuno actually steals that tentacle away before Tabi is able to eat it. So it doesn't really go into effect. Or at least we don't get to see if it affects him at all, unfortunately. Uh, and this Ooh. is when he's up against a corner and he's finally like, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to take these guys out is if I break their synergy. And he does it in a really cool way because he uses his chicken feet to throw a crystal that's fallen off of, Ho that's fallen off of Hojo into the eyes of Setsuno, and then he's able to eat the crystals from Hojo to harden his body, and then grabs Hojo and has Tabi eat them, and it, like, knocks them all out. I mean, it was, like, a really cool succession of scenes here where he's just able to get out of a sticky situation. So, two things. Number one, in the manga, he has his normal bare feet until... Not bare feet, like B-E-A-R. He just doesn't have shoes on. I like that you have to specialize bear. that, or specify that yeah. in this, you know... <laughs> Yeah, um, so he he starts transforming into the chicken feet in this in this moment when he kicks the pebble. Um, so there goes my s stabilization justification for your your thing earlier. Um, and then number two, I have in my notes that so once he pulls this cool move off, and this is kind of after some exposition where the 
villains are trying to build up some, I mean, it's villain backstory. So it's, they're trying to establish some measure of like sympathy, but they're also like, you'll, you, you'll never know, you know? So they're, they're going for sympathy, but they're also denying him the ability to sympathize. It's kind of strange. Yeah. It was really weird. Um, I agree. And they keep calling themselves human trash, which I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then when, when he does the, the stuff that you were talking about, um, he, he, manifest this leg this like giant chicken leg that's so big it would make like colonel sanders himself faint with the vapors and it just <laughs> extends all the way across the room and pins all three of them in this giant raptor claw um oh and i was right about there being food in his pouches yeah, because yeah i was gonna say that larceny larceny steals some of the pouches off of um off of amajiki's molly system and looks in and he's just like they're all full of food um so that was pretty cool i'm just disappointed then, we didn't uh, see some swordfish action like Fat Gun gave him that for a I reason. Know. I was expecting to see a, like, I don't know, sword come out of his hand or something. Something Check cool. off's gun, man. Yeah. Look it up, Horikoshi. <laughs> um, but then he, there's this cool, so this is kind of how this, this episode wraps, and it's really great. So he says, I might not, this is Amajiki, he says, I might not understand your grief and your rage and everything that led you here, but I know all about solid bonds. And, and that's kind of the whole thrust behind this whole episode is the bond that he has specifically uh, with Mirio. Um, but he's using his knowledge of his bond with Mirio to try to kind of disrupt the bond between these three guys. And so he pins him to the wall um, and he's able to do so because um, Tabe is going in to like go on the offensive. But because uh, Hojo is the one that's hurtling in his general direction, like Tabe closes his mouth because he's not going to bite his friend. And that's what Amajiki says. He's like, friends don't eat friends. And that's <laughs> kind of like the end of the episode. And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's uh, that's good life advice and in a general, uh, you know, general uh, perspective and and uh, you know, take on the world that friends shouldn't eat friends. Yeah, but that's how he's able to incapacitate three of the bullets of this side group all by himself. It was pretty cool. I, I like the way that he handled it. Um, I will say, just to touch a bit on these villains, they they basically threw out the whole thing of we were social outcasts, people didn't like us, and overhaul took us in. I mean, there. this was very reminiscent of, uh, I'm going to call them Twice. Okay, yeah, Twice. Twice, but yeah, I mean, it's very reminiscent of Twice's story of basically, like, I just didn't fit in with society, I was kind of crazy, and people didn't accept me, but you know what? These villains did, and it makes me think that Overhaul is probably one of the most manipulative characters that we have seen in this series yet. Like, he knows how to get what he wants out of people, and it, it can be, it looks like it's going to be pretty terrifying. Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly grant that he's probably manipulative, but it could also just be true that he's just generally more accepting because people gravitate towards acceptance. Imagine like, or remember, I mean, we're, we're well past this, this part of our lives, but I, I talk to my students, um, you know, with, with, with images like these, you know, the first day of school, when you walk into the lunchroom for the first time and you're like, I don't know who's in this lunch. Uh, you know, you're, you're, there's anxieties. You walk in and you're like, I need to find people that I know and people that I like, and I need to get with them as quickly as I can. And then like after the first day, it's fine. But you're, when you, when you're scanning that lunchroom, there's anxiety about who is in here that accepts me. Yeah. That's where I'm going to go. And it's like magnetism. I mean, people acceptance is magnetic. And so these guys are saying the same thing. They're saying, listen, we got we got kicked out and outcast and shunned and all this kind of stuff. This guy doesn't treat us that way. And because of that, we'll do whatever he says. Um, and so accept, being accepting is ex an extremely powerful social um, uh, 
construct or, or um, you know, phenomena, if you want to call it that way, or, or you know, call it, or speak about it that way. And so, you know, certainly he's manipulative to a degree, but at the same time, it's kind of easy to make the argument that he is just like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. You're, you're family here, which is Yakuza language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like he's gotten some pretty, I mean, big time villains on his side. They've got some pretty cool looking quirks. I'm interested in seeing more of like Mimic and Corona, who appear to be his two right hand guys, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, we still four got more bullets. Four more bullets. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, and I didn't watch the uh, the next on, you know, I don't know if you did or not. So I don't know if we're going to see him this next episode, but I get the feeling. Oh, man, gonna, it's going to be sick. Is it, yeah. I, get, I was going to say, I get the feeling this next episode is really going to start to ramp stuff up because we're, we're, like I said earlier, we're slowly siphoning off these heroes. So I think at the moment, the main group still just consists of Night Eye, Fat Gum, Midoriya, Mirio, and uh, Aizawa. I think that's it at the moment. Yeah. And so. Fat Gum, the, the after credits, the next on thing features Fat Gum and Kirishima looking like they're going to square off against two more of the bullets, Rappa and Tenga, I think, if I, if I caught their names correctly. So we're, and it looks like it's going to be another cool Red Riot episode, and I'm for that yeah. because Kirishima keeps getting better and better. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Cool, man. Well, I think that wraps us up for these two episodes. Uh, looking forward to the next ones for sure. Yes, and now we are back to having to wait a little while because episode 71 dropped like three days ago as we're recording this, and now we have to wait like, you know, 14 before we can sit down together and and talk about these things, and it makes me kind of sad. Yeah, me too, but that's okay. Heroes don't cry, man. But sometimes they might, (laughs) according to the Toads. That's true, I think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, well, you have a good week, and you guys take it easy as well. Yes, sir, we'll see you guys later. All right, have a good one. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Almighty Pod or follow at Back Patio Net for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.